So let me ask you something. Like the video that we opened with this morning, what would you write up here? I fill in the blank. What's the secret in your life that you're hiding behind? What is behind the blinds of your life? I think we began a four-week journey where we're uh, talking about how our secret sins and we're talking about how God's forgiveness can help us to erase them from our lives. We talked last week about this theme verse that we're sort of developing everything off of. The writer in Proverbs said this, do you remember? Those who conceal their sins or those who hide their sins, those who keep it behind the blinds, do not prosper. But those who confess and renounce them find mercy. Now, last week we talked about the addiction of lying and how we can overcome that in our lives. Today I want to spend several minutes talking about, very honestly, about the secret secret, and that is the secret of addiction. You know, life throws a lot of stuff at us. And we, a lot of us, have developed some unhealthy ways of dealing with all of the stress that all of that stuff produces. <laughs> Maybe like the guy in the drama. You know, food is our thing. And the more stressed we are, the faster we eat that food. But we've all developed some kind of unhealthy ways that we deal with the stuff that life throws at us. Now, when I say the word addiction, you probably immediately think of the big things, don't you? Drugs, alcohol, gambling, pornography. But the reality is our struggle with addictions is much broader than that. In fact, addictions could be defined this way. Any repeated choices that result in something having control over us. Think about that. Any repeated choices that result in something having control over us. That's what an addiction is. And there are a lot of things that could fall into that category, aren't couldn't there? There are a lot of things we could be addicted to. Food, exercise, sex, gambling, tobacco, um, entertainment, the Internet, uh, pornography, steroids, painkillers, sports, I guess. I guess you could be addicted to Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Or I guess you could even be addicted to the Buckeyes. Although, would that be a bad addiction, necessarily? Yeah, I know you all think so. You don't need to answer. There are a lot of things that we can be addicted to. Any repeated choice that results in something controlling us can be an addiction. Now, let's be clear this morning. God gave us desires, didn't He? And God gives us the ability to enjoy a lot of different things in life. And it's not wrong that we desire things. It's not wrong that we enjoy things in life. But God's desire is that He would be the master of our life. He would be our greatest desire. And when we allow other things to control us, that's where the problem is. But maybe I could try to explain it this way, and I hope I can do this justice. Scientists have uh, done some studies and discovered that, that you have cells in your body that actually, as you feed those cells by being involved in certain things, their desire for that grows. And actually those cells begin to produce other cells that come ready-built with that same desire. Let me try to explain it this way. Take this green guy. Let's say he... Yes, I'm picking on Teletubbies, but uh, 
just thought it was kind of a cool thing to use as a thing for this. Anyway, um, so take this guy. Now, say this is one of our cells. And every time you go make that pass to the fridge, or you feed that sexual fantasy, or you buy one more thing, or you do something to feed a particular habit, this cell begins to reproduce itself with that same desire. You have every desire has a group of followers. Let's say it this way. And that group of followers is influenced by how much they are fed by that desire. And every time we feed that desire, the group of followers literally cells in our bodies continues to grow and reproduce so that the desire becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. But here's the thing. We are the leader of our desires. I choose what desires I will feed. And when I choose to feed the wrong, the wrong desires and those desires grow and grow and grow, I am on the path to addiction. And I am on the path away from God and struggling with addictions. So how do we change this picture? How do we make sure that we feed the right desires? How do we make sure that we overcome addictions in our lives. Well, I need to say right up front today, this is a massive topic. And there is no way that in 20, 30 minutes, I can give this topic all of the all that it deserves. So I, I hope to just give you a few hints today that point you in the right direction. And if you will be honest with yourself today and admit that maybe there are some things that you are struggling with, my hope today is just to get you on the right path. And then to help maybe move you down that road in the future. Because there is no way that we can cover every part of this topic. So today, it is a note-taker's dream. I've got six R's for overcoming addictions. And I want us to look at those together. We're going to base all this out of a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is the writer there. And Paul, in this letter that he is writing, isn't writing specifically about addictions, okay? But he writes some principles here that have a direct application to what I want us to talk about today. So let me look at this passage with you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says this. He's writing to people just like us. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now again, he's not writing about an addiction, but he is saying to the Gentiles, you have this wrong thinking. And their wrong thinking was in regards to their relationship with God. They didn't place a value on having a relationship with God. And because they didn't really trust in God, they had this futile thinking. But listen to what else he says. And this, listen, think of this now in terms of somebody who's fighting an addiction. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, if you think about it, that sounds like someone who has allowed repeated choices to have something to, about something that has now has control over them. And as we make those repeated choices and we allow other things to have control on us, you know what happens to our heart? It gets hard. Or maybe a better way to say that is it grows calloused. You know, it starts as something maybe innocent, but we start down this road and before long our hearts grow insensitive. And then Paul says we partake in all kinds of impurity. It's a pretty good picture, isn't it? Of somebody who is on this path of addiction. 
So here's the first R to overcoming addictions. It is to recognize reality. To recognize reality. To be willing to admit that I might be addicted. Am I addicted to caffeine? Am I addicted to emails? Am I addicted to something? You fill in the blank. It's being willing to admit that I might have a problem. That I am struggling with this and that I need some help. Now you know what? Nobody ever sets out to be addicted, do they? I mean, I have never heard anybody say, boy, I've got a great family, a wonderful wife, great kids, a wonderful marriage, so I think I'll go get addicted to crystal meth and lose all of my money and lose my family and lose everything. Well, nobody says that. But it happens, doesn't it? I've never heard anybody say, you know, I think life is so great, I'll go get hooked on alcohol. I'll become an alcoholic. And that way someday when my kids grow up, they can have to go to counseling to deal with what an awful dad I was. Nobody says that. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? We don't set out to be addicted to anything. But if I'm going to begin to deal with my addictions, it begins by admitting that I might have a problem. That I am struggling with something. That I have made some repeated choices that resulted in something having control over me. And I need to deal with it. You know what? God can do some stuff in our lives to help us overcome these, but it begins with me being willing to admit that I might need help. Listen to what Paul says then as he continues in verse 20. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul says this path that you might be on of allowing other things to control you, that's not the life that you were taught. No, the life that you were taught and the life that you ought to be pursuing is a life in Jesus. And that's the second R, is that we need to relinquish control. We need to recognize that the spiritual power for our lives is found in Jesus, that it is the truth of Jesus that can set us free, and we need to relinquish control. You know, 12-step programs talk about finding a higher power, don't they? I want to tell you this morning, let's be really clear, the only higher power that has the ability to set us free is Jesus. He is the name that is above all powers. He is the power that is above that has all spiritual authority. He is the power that leads us to the truth that sets us free. Paul says, don't make a mistake about where true power is found. You know, uh, when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation to set all the slaves free, history tells us that wouldn't you have thought that the day that was signed that the slaves would have just immediately left and, you know, left the bondage they were in? But they didn't. History tells us that many of them lingered for a long time. Even though the highest authority in the land and through all the battles that had been fought, they had been set free. They were proclaimed to be free. Many of them stayed in captivity, stayed in bondage for some time. Jesus came to set us free. He came to, to heal us and to give us spiritual power. Why is it that after we have been set free for Him, we linger in bondage? Now, i got to tell you, I have never played Texas Hold'em, but I have watched it on television a little bit, not very much even at that. But I was told this week that there is one phrase in Texas Hold'em that is kind of the ultimate phrase. Anybody know what that is? All in? 
Yeah, my understanding of the game is that if somebody gets to the point where they say all in, I mean, they are putting it all on the table and they have set themselves up that they are either going to lose because they put it all in or they are on the road to victory. But it is kind of the ultimate decision, all in. Jesus invites us to relinquish control and to say to Him, all in. A lot of people are struggling with their relationship with God because they don't, they want to hold on to all of their stuff. And they just want to add God as another part of their life. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. If you want to be set free, you've got to relinquish control. You've got to say to me, all in. I'm putting myself all in. All in your control. And I don't always know exactly what that means or where that's going to lead, but I am all in. And I am trusting you. Harry Houdini was probably the greatest escape artist ever. And I, I understand that his most difficult uh, experience of trying to escape happened at a time when they put him in a jail cell. And they actually, you know, they put him in chains and everything and then placed him in this jail cell. Now, immediately he got out from the chains. He had no problem with that, got all that off of him. And then he took a tool that he had hidden somewhere on his body and began to work on trying to pick the lock of the jail cell door. I guess he worked and he worked. He started sweating profusely because he couldn't get the thing to unlock. And after he had worked for a long period of time, finally, he just kind of in frustration, you know, took a big sigh and kind of leaned against the door and the door fell open. It was unlocked the whole time. You know what? When Jesus comes into our lives and we relinquish control to Him, He unlocks the doors. He fixes things in our lives. And in those moments when we are on that path, we need to lean into Him and really relinquish control and stop trying to fix things ourselves. You know, when we try to fix things ourselves, it just doesn't work, does it? Here's the next R. We need to renounce and call by name the things in our lives that have held us bondage. We need to renounce and call by name the things in our lives that have held us in bondage. We need to renounce what the Bible would call sin in our lives. Paul says it this way, beginning in verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Paul says you've got to take off that old self, that sinful part of your life. You've got to take that off. You've got to set that aside. And you've got to put on a, a new life. You've got to be clothed in righteousness and holiness. There's a restaurant that I go to here in the area every once in a while, and I have noticed on several occasions when I've been in there that a manager or an assistant manager are out in the dining area. And, and they are busy every time. They are going around. If they see trash, they're picking it up. If they see tables that are dirty, they're cleaning them up. They're straightening things up. And I've noticed it happens with great frequency when I'm in there that they're out there fixing everything up, picking up the trash and making sure that things look good. And it's reflective of how that dining area looks on a regular basis because they've given attention to that. Paul says we need to go around in our lives and look for all the stuff that doesn't belong, all the sinful stuff, all the stuff that is part of our addictive behavior, and we need to pick it up and put it out in the trash. We need to get rid of it. 
Whatever those things are, we need to call them by name and say, you know what, that can't happen anymore. I can't have that as a part of my life and we need to renounce it and stop it. Now, this is not a one-time act. The verb that Paul uses here is a verb that talks about repeated action, something we do over and over and over and over again, really for infinity. And you know what, when it comes to picking out the trash in our lives, it is an ongoing action. Every day I need to look around my life and say, have I allowed anything to creep back in that I need to pick up and get rid of again? Day after day, I need to keep picking up the trash and replacing it with the life that God wants me to live. Now, I think we all realize that is not easy to do by yourself, is it? And it is important that we allow some other people into our lives who probably will do have a much easier time of seeing the trash in our lives and helping us to recognize it and to pick it up and renounce it and to stop it and get rid of it. That's why I think the next verse, verse 25, is important. Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul says we need to put off falsehood. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I brought along a hoodie here. And if I were to put this on, which I won't because it would mess my hair up and I hate that. So um, just a little insight into my quirks. Um, so if I were to put this on, you know, and then pull this hood way down over my head, you know, and kind of hold it over, I'd have that, I'd have that kind of dark look, wouldn't I? I think Paul's sort of saying we put on this false hood and we walk around kind of in a sense of darkness often ignoring what the real truth is, and we need some people around us who will, in a sense, bring a flashlight and shine it up into that falsehood and help us to see what the truth is. We need other people. So the next R is that we need to relate to other struggles. We need to invite other people, other strugglers, and we are all strugglers. We need to invite other strugglers into our lives to help us feed the right desires to help shine the light of the truth into our life and feed what God wants to grow in our lives. To feed the choices that bring a greater desire for God. You know what? We are stupid if we think we can fight alone. We really are. Fighting alone keeps our lies, our secrets behind the blinds. It's our relationship. It's so important. It's why the Bible talks over and over and over again about us being connected to other Christ followers. It's why we value life groups around here as one way that people can be connected. We can be in relationship with people where we can shine that light of truth on each other and stay out from under that falsehood that we can sometimes live under. Maybe for some of us it's that we need to find a, a small group of guys or a small group of women Guys with guys, women with women. And, um, you know, we need to develop that relationship where we can really open up and share our lives and have that sense of connectedness. Maybe for you, it's you need to find a spiritual coach or mentor in your life. Somebody who's just a little farther down the road in the journey with God and say to them, you know what, would you just meet with me once in a while? Would you help shine the light of truth into my life so that I can be aware of the falsehoods that I might live under? And you know what? None of that takes us organizing some program to make that happen. It's just us saying and being willing to say to other Christ followers, I need this. Could we link up and do this together? 
I have a, I've talked about this before, I think. I have a group of six pastors that I meet with every Monday. Other guys here in Cape Coral from a variety of different churches. And uh, over the time that we've been meeting together, I tell you, they have become, uh, for me, some of my closest relationships. I value them. I trust them. And it's pretty cool to hang out with some guys who have a kingdom mindset, who aren't worried about guarding territory, but are just worried about seeing the kingdom increase in this community. And you know, I guess pastors at times we could sort of have our own little addictions. And I have found these guys a safe place where we can shine the light of truth into each other's lives and make sure that we're not making wrong choices that result in something controlling us that's not healthy. I need that in my life. And I think you do too. Maybe on a whole other level, let me suggest something else that maybe some of you need today. Maybe if you are dealing with some of the more difficult addictions to overcome, things like alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography or some of those kinds of things, there is a great program that goes on right here in our community every Friday night called Celebrate Recovery. It happens over at Grace Church over on Hancock Bridge Parkway. And I want to recommend that to you. If you are struggling with that kind of stuff, it's a great place. Some people would say, well, Jeff, you're crazy to recommend something at another church for people. You know what? I don't care about that. I care that you get healthy. Now, I would like to suggest you go there on Friday. Feel free to come right back here on Sunday, okay? Let's be clear about that. But it's a great program. And they're changing lives because they know how to do it. And there's no sense in us reinventing the wheel. They're doing it well. And so if you're struggling with that, go there. and Find the help that you need. Well, here's the next R. We need to resist urges. Look at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, it's talking about anger, which I guess can be a form of addiction, but listen just to the principle of how Paul says to deal with it. Verse 27, And do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, deal with that thing before it controls you. You know, Satan seems to use the same methodology that America used back in World War II. If there was a, an island or a piece of land that we were trying to capture and take control of, You know what our troops would do? First, they would send in the air attacks, wouldn't they? Try to soften up the enemy a little bit. And then when they thought they had softened up the enemy with those air attacks, they'd try to get a beachhead, you know, get a little foothold. And when they had taken that foothold, that beachhead, then from there they would permeate to the rest of the island until they had supreme dominance over the entire island. And the devil, Satan, in our lives, he tries to soften us up at first with little little attacks, little air attacks trying to penetrate our lives, trying to say things to us like, hey, you know, it's just a little bit of alcohol. You can handle a little bit. Or, hey, it's just another purchase. What's one more purchase? Or, it's just another... You fill in the blank. And then when He's softened us up with that, He gets that foothold into our lives. And from that foothold, He begins to try to permeate our entire life until He has gained control over us. Until that addiction has gained control of us. And something that seems so innocent to begin with now has complete control over us. But by the same token, it is also true that every time we resist His air attacks, we grow a little stronger. Now the problem is that with an addiction, if we are trying to resist just with willpower, that's usually not very effective. You know, that's like using willpower to fight against diarrhea. It just doesn't work very well, does it? It may slow the process down a little bit, but it's probably not going to stop it. This is why I told you not to have your kids in here today. 
Okay? You know what? We need to resist, but there is a limit to willpower. Isn't there? Listen to the next verse. I think it's sort of a case study that Paul gives us. Verse 28. He said, Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now notice it doesn't just say stop stealing. It says, no, not only do you need to stop stealing, but you need to go out and fill the void of your life. You need to substitute something for that. Instead of stealing, I want you to go out and get a job. Make some money. Do something with your hands. Occupy your time. Other than just stopping the action. See, the process is really more than just replacing, or the process of replacing that is really a two-step process. First, we've got to cut the ties. We've got to cut the ties. Listen to what is written in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. If there is someone or something that leads to your addiction, the first step we have to take is to cut the ties. If, if you have a friend who is your source, your supplier, your tempter, then you need to end that friendship. You need to cut it off. No more contact, no emails, no texting, no phone calls, no hanging out, no hooking up. Cut the ties. If it is something that causes you, then you need to end it. If it's a pornography stash at home, you need to throw it away today in the garbage. Be done with it. If it's alcohol, you need to stop going to the places that tempt you. Cut it off. And then the second step of replacing that is to fill the void. To fill the void with other things. Fill your time with God's Word and prayer. Fill the holes in your life with things that please God. Fill the relational holes with people who are Christ followers. Fill your empty moments with serving others. Then there's one more R. Jesus said we need to rest in our new identity. We need to rest in our new identity. I love the story in Mark chapter 1. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus comes to a man who has leprosy. We read there in John 1.40, a man with leprosy came to Him and begged Him on His knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then look at Jesus' response. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. I am willing, He said, be clean. And this leper, this leper felt immediate freedom. Immediately, he was set free from what had been holding him captive. Now, you know what? It doesn't always happen that way, does it? Someone, sometimes God chooses to bring healing in our lives through more of a process. And sometimes it happens in that instance. There's something else that I notice about this passage. I don't recall when I think about Jesus, Jesus ever calling somebody a leper. In this case, he's, this man is referred to as a man with leprosy. You see, there is a big difference. It is an entirely different thing for your identity to be as an alcoholic versus being a child of God who struggles with alcoholism. Big difference. Now, I realize for some of you in this room this morning, you don't have that identity. You have never become a child of God. Because you've never been willing to say to Jesus, I'm all in. I relinquish control. 
But for a lot of us, we do have that new identity. And we have that new identity because of Jesus. You know, if I knew somebody that had cancer, I would never say to them, I would never want to hear them say, I am cancer. I'd say to them, no, you're not. You are a child of God who is struggling with the awful affliction of cancer. You and I have a new identity. Or we can have this identity if we don't. This is our identity. That's our identity. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addicted person. I am a child of God who may struggle with one of those things. And Jesus says we need to rest in this identity. Well, just as we did last week, we're going to spend some time in prayer as we close out here this morning. So some of our people who are prayer people that we've talked to ahead of time, if you just go ahead and make your way to the front here and be available. This morning I want to invite you to do two things as we pray. One, some of you today need to say, you know what, I, I have never said I'm all in. And today I need to say I am all in. I want that new identity. I want to be a child of God. And that can happen. And this morning I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. Maybe you want to just come to one of these people who will be down here in the front and say, I need to be a child of God. And they'd be happy to pray with you about that and to direct you in the right way. Some of you, and there is no shame in this because it's true for really all, nearly all of us, you are struggling with dealing with the wrong choices and bad decisions and you've allowed the wrong things to control your life. And maybe today you'd like to come and have somebody pray for you and God to set you free. Now I don't know if it will happen in this moment that you'll be set free or if God will set you on a journey of a process. But you know what? If we don't believe in God's power to heal, then let's just pack up and go home and be done. I believe in it. So this morning, there is no shame in saying, you know what, I need that. So maybe right where you sit, you want to spend some time praying. Feel free to come and let one of these people pray for you. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your life and you're thinking, yeah, I'd like somebody to pray with me, but you know, I'd really like to talk to somebody too. I want you to know that's available today too after our service is all ended. Through the door over here on my uh, right, your left. You'll just go back to the hallway. We've got a little prayer room set up and some of our people will be back there. They'd love to just pray with you, help you maybe get pointed in the right direction to find help to overcome your addiction. We want to help you today. But more than anything, we want to cry out to God who is the great healer. So let's just spend some time praying. Please feel free right now if you'd like somebody to pray with you just to come to the front. Then after a couple of minutes, I'll kind of wrap up our prayer time, okay?